listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant to shot. LeBron James with no regard for human life. Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan. And now, your hosts. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. I mean, Will and Grace is ending just as the Clippers are really beginning. <laughs> Which is perfect for me. I have no distractions now. Welcome to the show. I am Aaron Fishman, and the voice you just heard was that of David Cohan, co-creator and executive producer of the hit comedy series Will and Grace which will be coming to an end after the forthcoming 2019-20 season. David is one of the biggest Clippers fans I know. As a longtime season ticket holder, he's seen his fair share of losing. Now, he gets to revel in what the front office had been building toward over the last couple years. I think this is the year, he tells me. Let's listen to what David has to say about the Clippers' upcoming season. Later, we briefly touch upon his life-changing experience with Will and Grace and his sister's own comedy series, a supremely successful one, Orange is the New Black, which is also wrapping up after one final season. Without further ado, let's start the show. So David, as I get ready to bring you on, we talked about this, I think it was right before a playoff game between the Clippers and Warriors. I was half serious saying, I don't know if I said if and when, something like if and when Kawhi Leonard joins the Clippers, we're going to have to do another discussion where we bring you on the podcast. And I'm keeping that end of the promise. I'm really thrilled to have you on. Welcome back to the show. It's good to be here under these circumstances. It's good to be anywhere. These (laughs) are the best of times. It's good to be anywhere on the planet as a Clippers fan right around this time. So the first question is a straightforward one for you. I am of the opinion that this is the best thing to happen to the franchise, and I don't think it's even close. Would you agree with that assessment? There's no doubt about it. I mean, well, I guess one paved the way for the other. The, the you know, Donald Sterling being ousted. By the way, every time I, I almost say Donald Trump when I say Donald Sterling. <laughs> We're hearing the name Donald Trump too often. It, but it's it's such a funny. I, I always almost say Trump when I say Sterling, and they're so similar. You know, just <laughs> people. You know, real estate con men who don't pay their vendors and um, and are racists. Anyway, moving on. Um, I thought for a second when uh, Chris Paul was joining the team, I thought, well, this is about as good as it's going to get as a Clipper fan. But I was wrong. This is about as good as it gets. And what a surprise, too. I mean, initially, I really thought Kawhi was coming. It was almost a fait accompli, it sounded like. It seemed so certain like it was going to happen. And then when there were, you know, three, four days leading up to uh, July 1st, suddenly I felt less and less sure of it. But on July 5th, during the earthquake, when the announcement was made, it was about as thrilling and as good a news as I've ever received as a Clipper fan. 
Yeah. So a few things you said that I wanted to respond to. First, I agree with you. I think there were a lot of different steps leading up to this point. And that's an upcoming question that I have for you just about how the front office set the stage for this to even be remotely possible. Because obviously, these developments don't happen in a vacuum. The Clippers were building toward this for at least a couple of years, especially since the last time we had you on the show in October of 2017. And that was just after they had re-signed Blake Griffin and made him, quote unquote, a Clipper for life. Mm-hmm. And then they did a really quick rebuild. Um, but yeah, there were previously all these other moments that I think up until that point felt like the best moment in Clippers franchise history. Before I get more into the front office moves that set the stage for this, I just wanted to ask, where were you when you heard? Were you still awake at that time? And did you see on Twitter? Did someone contact you about the news? I was not awake. That evening, okay. it was my it was my sister's birthday, and we had a birthday dinner right in the Hollywood Hills, right at a place right next to Yamashiro's overlooking LA. The earthquake happens. And nobody, nobody at the restaurant was scared. Everybody felt like, oh, that's fun. What an L.A. experience we're having. There's an earthquake, you know, while we're enjoying our sake. And um, as you do in Los Angeles, it, there's nothing about it. It, it. it almost felt like a good omen to me. <laughs> like everybody was in kind of a festive mood just down here. Nobody was weirded out. Nobody felt the impulse to run away. Nobody said, I've got to get out of Los Angeles. It was kind of like. Well, there's a little bit of excitement, you know, on a Friday night. I got home that night. I went to sleep. And the next morning, I had more messages, more text messages than I had ever seen on my phone. <laughs> I and, was one of those, too. Yes. And I and I, I thought to myself, at first, I thought, I started opening. I'm like, oh, well, this is going to be people, you know, voicing their displeasure that Kawhi ended up staying in Toronto. And wow. and really, to my surprise, there it was. And I, I and and the Paul George thing completely took me by surprise. Oh yeah, no one. I, expected I had that. no idea that was even in, in consideration at all. And so suddenly, you know, it felt like we were front runners. And I never, I've never felt that way as a Clipper as a Clipper fan before. I was at a restaurant bar called the One Up in Sherman Oaks with a pair of Lakers fans and a Spurs fan. And we were talking about it as the saga was dragging on, just speculating what was going to happen for 20 minutes, probably after Adrian Wojnarowski broke it. And then I got all these messages on WhatsApp from a friend who's out of the country, and he sent me four or five straight messages, so I figured something's important. And then I read it, and the Lakers fans did not want to believe the news from Woj. They wanted to, to make sure that it wasn't a fake account or something. But yeah, I was with you. I was pretty confident about Kawhi Leonard coming to the Clippers heading into the free agency period. I was still, I would say, cautiously optimistic. I thought that no one really knows because they keep it really tight and, and um, his people don't want any leaks. I didn't really believe that it was down to the Raptors or Lakers at that point, but I also was growing less and less confident as it was dragging on. Mm-hmm. There is still this sense that really good things like this don't happen to us. 
You know, they happen to the Lakers. They don't happen to us. It's th- more than three weeks later, and sometimes it's still hard to believe that it really happened. I can't believe that we are actually at the epicenter of the NBA world right now. It's 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 kind of an amazing position. I mean, in, in Los Angeles as a whole. Yes. You know, just the fact that the, that the Lakers and the Clippers are suddenly the best rivalry possibly in sports because they have – the four most, ex- the two most exciting duos, even though the NBA is now full of exciting duos, but I feel like these are sort of the, the, the top tier. Yeah, and we're definitely going to keep it focused on the NBA, but broadening it, the Rams were just in the Super Bowl and the Dodgers have been in two straight World Series. Um, anyway, so let's talk about the front office. Personally, February of 2018, when I heard that Blake Griffin was traded to Detroit, even though the Clippers got a good return for him, really good, I thought, okay, the Clippers are going to be rebuilding. They're probably not going to re-sign Tobias Harris in a year and a half or whatever, and that it might be a while before the Clippers get back to the playoffs. And I kind of thought, here we go. They're blowing it all up. But really, even though that term gets thrown around, there's so many different types of rebuilds that don't involve flat-out tanking like what the 76ers did. And Mm -hmm. the Clippers' version of rebuilding was so fast. They did it, it seemed like, almost perfectly. Nothing's perfect, but just the return they got for Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, Tobias Harris, the list goes on and on, picking Shea Gilgis-Alexander and fending him off from other teams who wanted to have him work out for them. They just seem to do everything right, pull all the right strings. It it really was amazing, the turnaround, and you you didn't necessarily see it at all. Even the late acquisitions, the, you know, getting Landry Shamit from the Sixers and, and the picks, you think, well, Tobias Harris is a borderline all-star, you know, and, and we're getting a rookie back, but what a great move that was. We didn't lose a step. but And, and, and I felt bad for Blake, but... I knew when when they signed him to that, you know, that $170 million deal, I thought this is going to be a problem because I don't think you can win if Blake is your number one option. I just I never I never felt that way at all. And then the other thing was I thought there's there's Lawrence Frank and there's but more than anything, if Jerry West is there, I feel like he's a magician. Like I feel that there's no there's no greater architect of a team. There's no one whose imprimatur means more than Jerry West. He seems like the person who never makes bad moves. His instincts are always right. It's 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 uncanny to me. So it's like in Jerry we trust, right? As soon as as soon as those things happen, I I didn't get nervous and I didn't feel bad. I just thought. Jerry West thinks it's okay. Ergo, it must be okay. Doc Rivers is clearly energized, and, and who could blame him? In the introductory press conference with George and Leonard by his side, he had a quote I just want to read quickly. It's a different energy. I joined a group in 2013, and that group had some success, but also some baggage. This group is new. This is our creation. I feel like that college coach, when you first get the job and you take all the recruits that are there and try to win with them, and then you get your recruits. That's how I feel. So he's just feeling really pumped right now. 
It, it just it feels that feels so right. Last year, as a fan, was my favorite year. It was my favorite year, I think, ever in all the years of being a Clipper season ticket holder. What Doc did with that group and just the character of that group, I loved that team. I, I, I really did. It was such a satisfying season to me. They had toughness like they never had before with Patrick Beverly and Montrez Harrell, like just as the beating heart, the intensity, that sort of never give up, we're never out of it. Lou Williams was just like the cool Southern gunslinger. It was just like, I got this, fellas, you know? <laughs> and I I love the and Shay, the rookie who ever I, I'm sad that's my one that's the one sad thing to see him go because he seemed so much apart. They all took him under his wing. He never made mistakes. I've never seen a rookie, a rookie starter make fewer mistakes than, than, than SGA. It was, it was great to watch. And I look forward to that backcourt for the next, you know, however many seasons, Shea and, uh, and Landry Shamit. It's sad that he's gone. I, I, I understand it. I, if that was the only option, then you have to make this deal. And and I think Patrick Beverly and Landry Shaman is going to be a great backcourt too. But I, I shame that makes me sad. That yeah. said, my favorite my favorite team ever in years ago and the most enjoyable season I've had. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even have to ask the question. You just went right into it. I, I knew you told me about this previously, how much you loved last season's team. And just on paper, that's so fascinating to me, given all the Lob City teams that we've seen up close. But it makes perfect sense. They were just such a scrappy team last year. They made the playoffs with a couple guys. You could argue that they didn't really have any stars, or at least no superstars with Gallinari and Tobias Harris as the best two players. And then once they dealt away Tobias Harris, they were winning at an even greater clip. Most of them are back other than SGA and Danilo Gallinari. You get rid of all those first-round picks, but you're not getting one superstar back. You're getting two. So that's why I'm fine with that historic haul that the Thunder got. Because if you don't get Paul George, you don't get Kawhi Leonard, apparently. That's right. Yeah, it was like you traded all those picks for two superstars. And given that the Clippers are probably going to be good, I don't know where those picks are going to be. I mean, those Clipper picks, if they're as good as we think they're going to be, are those going to be like late first round picks? I would think so for the most part. A couple of them weren't the Clippers picks that they traded. They, I think they even got the Miami, the Miami. Some of them were Miami picks, right? Yeah, which won't be super high. That won't be really that high either. I'm okay with this. I'm okay. I think uh, unless you're tanking yourself and you know you're going to be terrible, other teams' draft picks, it's a crapshoot. It's, it's a real crapshoot. And to have two bona fide superstars on your team for it is, is well worth mm-hmm. it. But, yeah, the other thing about last year's team was you really got the sense, unlike years before, was that they all played for each other that they genuinely cared about each other, that they enjoyed playing together, and that they were locked in defensively most of the time, which is an amazing thing to say about an NBA regular season team. They really did seem to be giving their best effort, not caring who carried the scoring load. 
Everybody had their roles, which were clearly defined. There was energy and passion and intensity. And I, I don't know. I, I, I love that team. The Lob City teams, there always seemed to be more talent than cohesiveness. And uh, Chris Paul just always seemed like he was chirping at everybody, like he was perpetually <laughs> dissatisfied. And it just wore on people. And there, it never seemed to gel in the way that could lead you beyond the second round. I never felt like we were going past the second round, even though talent-wise, I felt like we've had arguably the best or second best starting lineup in the West. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. So speaking of the defensive side of things, our last guest, Jovan Buha of The Athletic, said that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George could, quote, be the best pairing defensively since Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan. Really high praise. But I don't think it's unrealistic by any stretch. I would say they have historically great defensive potential if they can stay healthy. Kawhi Leonard, the two-time defensive player of the year, another two-way star in Paul George, both joining Patrick Beverly, who's just ferocious on the defensive end. How great can this squad be on that end? They... To me, it's the it's. I feel like Mo Harkless is a really good uh, defensive player, and um, there's not really a rim protector, I suppose. But now you're kind of quibbling, right? Because I think certainly on the perimeter, there's never been a better defensive team that I can think of. Just with three potential first team All NBA defensive players, I mean. If you let's think about it, if for a point guard, who would you want to be? Who's the lockdown defender for a point guard? Is there is there someone you would put above Patrick Beverly? Hmm. I mean, I I can't really think of someone like John Wall, who's never healthy, is is probably pretty up there just in terms of always being in the passing lanes. But Patrick Beverly is one of the best defenders at that position. Yeah. And then you have the two best, you know, all-around wing defenders in, in, in Paul George and, and Kawhi Leonard. And I, I, I think just that, that core alone, you have the best core defensive team that's in the NBA right now. I think they have a chance to be all-time. Why not? So what would the starting lineup look like? And then I can tell you um, the one I would have. I mean, I imagine it's Patrick Beverly. Landry Shamet, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and then Zubats, right? Yeah, mine's the same. Some people say maybe have Shamet come off the bench, but I like his shooting in that starting lineup, spreading the floor. You can have Patrick Beverly guard the opposing team's best guard scorer. And then I guess you do it by matchups. Um, some people have... Uh, go smaller and have either Jamichael Green or Montrez Harrell starting. But Mm -hmm. I think Harrell is too small. I don't think Mm -hmm. you want him starting against an opposing center. And I love the pick and roll rapport between Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell. I don't think you break that up when you have the number one and three guys in six man of the year voting coming off the bench. I say keep it. And like you said, arguably the best certainly the best second unit pick and roll combo in the league and one of the best pick and roll combos in the league period um 
if I'm Montrez, I'm happy playing with Lou Williams. I mean, that, that just that duo coming in off the bench. I don't think he would even get many offensive opportunities if he was in with Kawhi and Paul George. I, I think it just doesn't make sense. But then again, like what Doc Rivers did against the Warriors in the playoffs, if you have a smaller, faster team, then Zubots doesn't need a start. I That's right. That's right. And they and they can go small, like you said, with uh with Jermichael Green at the five or with Montrez at the five, you know, and and mm-hmm. I love the fact that you're bring because by the end of that year, Jermichael Green was such a positive contributor. You know, he really he had a shot going. He he runs the floor. He shoots the three well. He was a real. I'm so glad we were able to retain him. Me too. A lot of stretch big men. The Clippers over the years have brought them in, and they haven't ended up making their threes. Mm-hmm. Tim Thomas. I remember Tim Thomas was that oh, was yeah. big. That was the one that really that Doc really eyed. Tim Thomas killed us when he was on the Suns. Doc went out and got him. So it's good to have him back. And he, like Patrick Beverly, took less money to return to the Clippers. Another sign that this is a far cry from the organization that we've long known as the Clippers. Mm-hmm. You touched upon this a little earlier. The rivalry with the Lakers, it hasn't been much of a rivalry in recent years with the Clippers being good and the Lakers not. And then obviously historically the opposite. Um, But each team has a pair of superstars now on its roster. They share stable center, of course, for now. The Clippers are hoping to move into their own arena in 2024 in Inglewood. They almost played, though, in 2006 when the Lakers were up three games to one against the Phoenix Suns, and the Clippers had eliminated the Nuggets the previous round. So we were within one Laker win of a hallway series. Now a lot of people are getting excited about that prospect, maybe in a a conference finals or earlier. How are you viewing a potential intra-city series this postseason? I would love to see it. it, it, It's going to be tough, boy, because, you know, Denver's so good, and Utah's gotten a lot better, and Houston now could be really scary. And I actually think the Lakers are not as good as people think they're going to be. I don't understand what lineup they're going to put on the floor. I, 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 I don't. I mean, if you're just talking about their best players, it's Anthony Davis and LeBron James, and you would have um, Kyle Kuzma. And then you'd have Danny Green, and then and and who else are you putting on the phone? Who's I, the I think Rondo does he start too? I'm not really sure. Is he? Rondo's come on. They have Demarcus I mean, Cousins now, um, but he's coming off the Achilles. Yeah, there it is. Okay, so so think about that. Is that that's your best five if you're the Lakers? I I get yeah right I think so is. They, I thought it they is. filled out their roster okay, given the difficult situation they were in, just with how long Kawhi Leonard waited. Yeah, but it still doesn't make sense. It still doesn't make sense as a team that wants to contend. I don't understand who the five you're putting on the floor in the fourth quarter in the playoffs. Um, you know when it when it really matters. It seems like they have they're they're heavy at the four and five position. In fact, that seems like all they have. It's it's Boogie, it's Anthony Davis, it's LeBron James, it's Kyle Kuzma, and Danny Green. That's the best five on that team. 
who's going to guard Damian Lillard? You know, who's going to guard Jamal Murray? I, I, I don't know yeah, who I'm with plays you. the good guards on the other team, and I don't know who hits shots. So I think they would counter with saying that Danny Green is a good 3 and D guy. They would probably try to use him, and then I think Avery Bradley, what we saw at least when he was on the Clippers and in recent seasons, is overrated. Mm-hmm. They would argue that some combination of Danny Green, Avery Bradley, and Contavious Caldwell-Pope would um, be put on opposing guards. But I think fit is a major issue. I think a lot of people are are overhyping them now just given how extremely talented they are at the top of the roster. Anthony Davis and LeBron James, I would say they win 50 games easily if those guys, those two stay healthy. But mm-hmm. I think you actually need to have a good fit of talent together at different positions, like you were arguing, to actually make real noise in the playoffs and make it to a Western Conference final. So right. I think the Clippers are just way ahead of the where the Lakers are. And I agree with you that those other teams are in a better position to have playoff success. And and it's funny because people talk about the Clippers' health and the health of their two superstars with uh, with Kawhi's quad and, and Paul George's shoulder. But I think about the Lakers are, I think, in a much more perilous situation. Anthony Davis always gets hurt. Like That's his thing. He gets hurt. He's great, and he gets hurt. And LeBron James, I don't know. Right now, there are only... There are only two guys in NBA history that have played more minutes than him, playoffs and uh, and regular season combined. That's Karl Malone and Kareem. At a certain point, athletically, he's going to fall off a cliff, right? I mean, mm-hmm. or at least there will be a somewhat precipitous decline. And it seems like it should happen right around now. And I know that nobody has taken care of his body you know, the way LeBron has and through whatever means necessary. But uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's got to catch up with him at some point. He's got so many miles. He had his worst injury ever last year that kept him out of more games. And um, and then Anthony Davis is like, he, he's like a, he's like a precious thoroughbred, right? <laughs> The minute he gets slightly tweaked, he's out for a while. And it seems like it's inevitable that he's going to be tweaked slightly this year. Yeah. As a a basketball fan, I I hope LeBron doesn't start breaking down. And that last year was was just a sort of like... An aberration? Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. He does have a lot of mileage on him, though. He's not getting younger. Now, granted, he didn't play at all in the postseason, so he, so that was just sort of additional rest and That's you know, true. that sort of stuff. But that doesn't that doesn't make him younger. Yeah, and I just don't see that I, that team doesn't quite make sense to me as currently composed. They don't seem balanced. Mm-hmm. Before changing gears, I, I just want to say that yeah, to me, the Clippers have much more depth, and I think if one of those guys, George or Leonard misses extended time and I'm not referring to the beginning of the season where George really might as he's returning from the shoulder injuries but just later on the Clippers would no longer be a title contender for me but they'd still be a very good team I think whereas the Lakers if you lose one of those guys in Davis and or James then 
I think it can go south in a hurry. Really fast. It, it, yeah, I think the Clippers are in a much better position than the Lakers. I just do it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more show. Hi, I'm Tomer Zarli from Touchpoint, and you're listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast. So on a different note, last week it was announced that the forthcoming season of your show, Will and Grace, that's the 11th season, will be the show's final one. It's also going to be the third season since the reboot. So I'm going to ask you an impossible question, but hopefully you could try to humor me. What stands out the most just when you um, look back at that unforgettable journey? I know it's not over yet. Uh, right. And, you know, we ended it because Kawhi and Paul George are now Clippers. I needed more time <laughs> to focus on what's important. Priorities. Um, but, but, but looking back, um, I, I guess more than anything, how special it is to work with those four actors, because I actually think they're the best at what they do. And when we went off the air the first time, there were a few shows that Max, my partner, and I did that you you realize how and, and it was all good people, but there was something that was missing. It could have been us, it could have been the the cast it could it there's there's a whole confluence of things that has to come together in order for something to work. But one of the things that I really appreciated during that gap between the first run and the second run, was just how good I had at working with those four actors. I I really feel like whatever you write, they elevate it. They make it they make it better than you thought. You know, when you write something, you think, well, this is how it's probably going to sound and probably going to play. And if and if I achieve that on the stage, then I've succeeded. And so much of the time they've elevated what I even thought was going to what I, I was going to see and that is something that has always blown me away and especially these last three years just how good those four actors are to use a basketball analogy it's kind of like what people would say about steve nash or lebron james or mm-hmm. they make everyone better yes absolutely and and it's and that's the unique thing that's that's something that you know in 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 looking back the fact that I got to work with those four people is really what made this so special. And everybody. I mean, every, the writers were great. You know, all the department heads of producers, Jimmy Burroughs, the director, is the best at what he does. I, I feel incredibly fortunate to have been able to work with all of these people. Mm-hmm. I'm putting you on the spot a little bit now. Your sister, Genji, also has a hit show reaching the end of its run this year. I'm referring to Orange is the New Black and yeah. its final season's currently streaming on Netflix. So in kind of like a parallel universe, because I know this is not possible, but if you could have made it happen, what would a crossover episode have looked like? Ha! Between with Orange is the New Black? Well, I mean... Would Karen have gone to jail possible. or something? It's possible. These four should be in prison for a lot of their infractions. <laughs> so you never know. You never know. Um, uh, you they just know, have to acclimate to that lifestyle. Yeah. 
And then we would take, you know, whatever disagreements Gingy and I had as kids, we'd throw it into the show. And that's what would be, you know, you hung my teddy bear, I think would be an episode. (laughs) (laughs) Would be, be, you know, would be, would be the start of a prison riot. Um, She, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of her. She, you know, because she, you know, she's been at this, even though she's younger than I am, she's been at this for pretty much as long as I have. And, and, uh, and just to see the, uh, just the trajectory of her, of her career has been amazing. You know, it's, it's, and this year, I don't know if you've seen any of it this year. This year has been the best year of Orange is the New Black. It's really, really a phenomenal I'm, show. I'm looking forward to finishing it. I'm a couple episodes in. And I, I know it deals with some pretty heavy issues. Not that it ever didn't, but um, yeah, I'm looking forward to finishing that season. So the last thing I'll ask you, I'll bring it back and ask you a Clippers-related question. We know about the shoulder surgeries to Paul George and that he may not be ready to start the season. And they call it load management, how they've been dealing with star players in recent years in the NBA and Kawhi Leonard uh, maybe managed like that and uh, maybe resting every so often in light of those two things, but also factoring how excellent of an off season the Clippers have had and just their massive depth. How many wins are you projecting? Well, you can give me a range if you'd like. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to give you a number. How's that? That's good. I'll, I'll give you mine after. I'm going to say 54. And, and I actually think it would be higher because I think if, if all of these guys played 82 games, I think that's potentially a 60-win team, even in, even in the West. But I'm glad load management is a part of it, you know, and I'm glad that we have – we have – because – because Paul George will, will probably be managed as well. But we have Jermichael Green and we have um, Mo Harkless and, and, uh, and Montrez Harrell and guys who can step up, who have been starters and who are, it seems like it will be seamless, you know, but we'll give, we'll give away four or five games, which is fine. But I think 55 is my number. Oh, okay. You said 54, so I'm going to have to pick your first answer. I, I, I talked myself into it. No, I'm just I messing with you. 55. So <laughs> I was going to say 59, and wow. now I'm saying 58. It might be a little high, though, um, because I do think the Clippers are approaching it the right way and not caring exactly about regular season record or seed and prioritizing their, their guys' health. And so it won't really matter. But yeah, I think their regular season record takes a little bit of a hit in pursuit of the ultimate goal. And then just a related question to close on, do you see the Clippers reaching their first Western Conference finals in franchise history and possibly beyond? I do. I do. I think, I mean, I think this is the year. I see no reason for them not to even... Utah's going to have they'll be better, but they're still going to have to integrate a few players. Um, and I think the Clippers are ultimately a better team than Utah this year. Denver is scary. And you know what? They just got Jeremy Grant too, didn't they? 
Yeah, that was a great move by them. If Jeremy Grant has a a Pascal Siakam year, they could be really scary. So that scares me. Um, the Lakers actually scare me a little bit less, even though it's LeBron. I don't know. I'm underestimating them because they're the Lakers, I guess. But I, I, the answer is yes. I think they're going to make the Western Conference Finals. I actually think I, I have them as the – they're my favorites coming out of the West, in fact. Mm-hmm. You know, I do. I think they're the best team in the Western Conference. I think so, too. I think health will be really important. So we'll monitor that. But if those two guys stay healthy during the stretch run, I think it's difficult to beat the Clippers. I can't imagine two superstars who are more willing to integrate into a team concept than these guys. It's so, you know, Kawhi just seems all about winning to me. It seems like the only thing he really cares about, and he will do whatever is required to, you know, to, the, to, to achieve that end. And Paul George always feels like a se- he felt like a seamless addition in, uh, at Oklahoma City. And it, it's not the kind of thing where he is going to like, – like Chris Paul needed the ball in his hands all the time. And Blake Griffin – you know, he could be kind of a ball stopper himself. And a lot of it had to do with numbers and, and an individual performance. Yeah. These are the two superstars who aren't gunning for MVPs. It seems to me, they just are there to win NBA championships above all else. And to do that, they want to integrate into the team as seamlessly as possible. That's the sense that I get. Which makes it, which will make it easier for Doc. He told Doc Rivers flat out many times, "I want you to coach me. I'm coachable," and he seems like that that humble type that's just ready to just come in, play defense, be a leader. Maybe it's not a vocal leader, but be that leader that the Clippers have long needed and lead them to where they've never gone before. The more I, I think about Kawhi Leonard, the more he reveals of himself, the more it seems like he had a beef. Yeah, he probably wanted out of San Antonio. It was a situational one. Yeah, but he had, but I think he had a beef with the medical staff. Mm -hmm. I think he's like, I don't care if you think this is real or not. I'm telling you this is real. And you're getting on me to go and play, but I'm telling you that I can't play as much as you want me to. And if you're going to do this to me, then I'm going to sit out. Yeah. That that is I think that's at least part of it. I don't know if this is strictly a power play to get out of San Antonio. Uh-huh. I, I, I that's I, I that's based on nothing other than my because while it was happening, I thought it was exactly that. I thought, oh, Kawhi is revealing himself to be someone quite different than we thought. You know, here he is, yeah. he's just a disgruntled superstar like Jimmy Butler, you know, who's just making a lot of noise so he can get out of a out of a place that he wants to leave. Mm-hmm. But I I don't know. You know, I think load management was so important to him in Toronto, and they granted him that, and he delivered for them. I'll let you get back to work. It's always a pleasure talking with you, whether it's in person or on the air. It was a special treat, especially after what unfolded this offseason. I'm so excited to talk about this. You know, talking about what's happening between Will and Grace is lovely, but having time in the middle of the day to stop and talk about the things that are really important, like the Clippers' upcoming season, 
It really, really makes my day. So I appreciate it. I'm happy to give you the platform. I hope it energizes you to just make more magic happen for the show once we hang out. Thank you, my friend.